Hello and welcome to episode 252 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Vienna, Virginia. This is Ben Olson. With me is Nathan Fox, somewhere between LA and Nevada. I'm in LA. Okay. Yeah, I'm in LA. I never know these days. And Anne Levine, where are you? I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Oh, that's awesome. Um, we're so glad to have you on the show today, Anne, and we are going to jump into your book and anything else that you want to talk about. You know, you're such a, uh, beloved guest that at this point you can just talk about whatever you want. I can just take so. over. I love being with you guys. I haven't seen my friends in so long, so it's so good to see you guys. Like usually I'd yeah. be in DC three times by now in 2020, yeah. you know, I and, know. Yeah. or San Francisco to see you, Nathan. This is like, this is so weird to not see you guys in person. So good to see you here. Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking to Anne, of course. We're also going to uh, apparently cover a ridiculous 12 a.m. Proctor U default. Oh, okay. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, hmm. we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, LSAC fee waiver appeal was denied for someone who was struggling with the COVID-19 layoffs and so forth. So uh, that's interesting. Of course, we're going to talk to Anne. Then we have... Flex, raw to scaled score conversion table. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'll be easy to talk about and what you can do about that if you care about that stuff. An LSAT question from Nathan's COVID rant. Oh, wow. Okay. Hmm. I, I didn't get any hate mail from that at all. No, um, I have no idea what the LSAT question is going to be about that. But. <laughs> but you didn't get any hate mail, but maybe uh, Annalisa did. And <laughs> Poor Annalisa. <laughs> she protected me from all the hate mail. Yeah. I can't even remember what you said, but it was long, right? It was long. It, I think it was it was sensible, and that's why I thought I might get hate mail for it, since it wasn't just strictly <laughs> red team or blue team. <laughs> you know, it was like let's actually think about this. But yeah, we'll see. Okay, writing in E prime. I have no idea what that means. Is that English? Uh, <laughs> it's a form of English in which you remove all of the to bes, so you remove all the is, was, were, um, and that's called it's, E it's, prime. Mm-hmm. It's a form of writing. It's a. It, I don't think you could actually write that way and have it still sound correct. But uh, yeah, it's just a. It's more of like a uh, thought experiment about improving your writing. Cool. Dead of winter characters. <laughs> it's just a joke. We'll get there if we get there. Okay, and then maybe an LR question if we have time. Yep. And and we hope you can stay for as much as you can stay for. We'd love to get your opinion on some of these emails as well. So, yeah, I'm scared cuz all of that was gobbledygook to me, but I'll do the best I can. Yeah, hey, it's you're <laughs> I'm good at winging it. Let's go. Let's I do don't it. know what this is going to be about. Maybe no <laughs> That means none really of our listeners you guys do about either. The LSAT. I don't know what the heck is all that. I mean, you guys have like I guess to fill 252 episodes, you got to branch out, but all right, let's do it. Well, it's got to come back to law school LSAT somehow. We'll see. I can do that. I can pull it together. Cool. Um, All right. This is going to air on Monday, June 29th. Uh, The July LSAT Flex starts on Sunday, July 12th. Uh, So a couple weeks from now. Um, The registration deadline for the August LSAT test, which I guess is going to be an LSAT Flex as well, is July 15th. That's also when our taxes are due, I just noticed. But... um, and then the August LSAT right now is scheduled for the 29th of August, which is, of course, the very end of that. Um, cool. If you have questions, email the show at help at thinkinglsat.com. Please include your selfies. If you're bold enough, leave a review on iTunes. That always helps, of course. Let's 
uh, jump into Anne Levine. Let's talk about the book. Yeah. yeah. I have it here, by the way. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yay, Ben. Yay. So Congratulations. I think this is like, thanks, guys. This is like my third version that you guys have been both been featured in, something like that. Oh, this wow. is the fourth edition of the book. I've known you both over a decade now, I think. I yeah. think it's actually true. So I think the first version came out 2009. And then, um, so here we are. And it's the fourth edition of the law school admission game. I, I would say just, I'm, I haven't read anything yet, but just looking at it, Anne, it looks more professionally formatted than your previous versions. Thank you. I was just telling Nathan before you signed on, I'm like, I think this one looks the best. Um, yeah. I hope what's yeah, it in does. it is also the best, but I actually- yeah, That's think, all like, that matters. It, it looks that's why your smoothest. book has been so successful, yeah. Right, it's the content, right? Um, yeah. It's your quotes and all of my amazing people who give me their essays as examples, but you know, I also made a little bit political statement this time around, so there we go. Um, oh, Okay. Yeah. Oh, mind blown. Um, but no, I'm really excited about this version. I think it's the longest version as well, because between the smallest font and the 209 pages, I'm feeling like mm-hmm. there's some there's some serious information in here for law school applicants. And this is so current that I finished writing it in June and then mm. it came out and we are still okay. in June. So this includes all the LSAT flex, all the GRE, all mm-hmm. the COVID-19 crap. So it is super current. Wow. Awesome. And I hope you guys will like it, and I hope your people will like it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they will. All of our students that we've ever given it to have loved it. It's an extremely useful book. Again, it's called The Law School Admission Game. And if we, (laughs) at the top of the show, we kind of assumed, Anne, that everybody knows who you are. Um, Oh, that's sweet. (laughs) Many of of our listeners do know who you are, but uh, Anne is uh, lawschoolexpert.com. You're law school at lawschoolexpert, right? On Twitter and um, Instagram. I I never check Twitter. I kind of hate it, but Instagram, you can definitely find me. I check that every day in DM and I check the blog and answer comments there as well. I've been keeping the law school extra blog since like 2006 or something. So yeah, I was gonna there's say, a lot you, on there. Yeah. You were doing, you were in the law school admission game before I was teaching LSAT. I started um, law school expert in 2004 and it's all I've been doing ever since, which is a really long time now. And I know that because my oldest daughter was four months old and now she's a junior in high school. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> So what's new and, um, I mean, this cycle, all sorts of crazy stuff has been going on and we, I haven't talked to you about it at all. So what's, yeah. what's the latest? So there's a few things. I mean, um, you know me, I hate Reddit. So I, I really hate all rumors that begin there. And the thing I hear a lot from right now from current applicants um, and people who are deciding whether to apply this year or whether to wait is this rumor that you should go ahead and apply to law school right now to start law school six weeks from now. And that law schools are desperate for people and you can apply last minute and get in. And I think that's total BS. Um, And a lot of people are wasting a lot of time and money trying to do that, I think. And um, because obviously these schools still have wait lists and most of schools are not going to let people defer for COVID reasons, right? Because otherwise they'd make no money this year and they'd be overrun next year. And it just, universities can't operate that way. Someone's going to have to suffer through online law school. Um, so I, I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, that's one trend I've been hearing a lot can of in I, the last few weeks. Can I just ask, um, yeah. I'm under the impression that Harvard is allowing everybody to defer who wants they to defer. Are, but I don't, I don't, that's Harvard. <laughs> I yeah. don't know that everyone's going to follow that trend. Um, Have you heard, are, are, I mean, is Stanford doing that? Is Yale doing that? I haven't heard specifics. Okay. Um, I've only heard Harvard's stance on it. And to be honest, um, there's pros and cons to the deferring. Plus you have all the people who 
all the international students who won't be able to attend this fall for visa issues, right? Um, and so are they really going to start law school online? Or are they, you know, there's all, this is crazy. So we'll have to see what happens. But I think wait lists will start to move in the next few weeks more. I mean, Northwestern's already moved. Penn is starting to move. So I think that will impact those. You get an off a wait list, you're not going to get a deferral. So I think that will impact things too. But I think these last minute applications is just a bad idea. And I'm mostly hearing about it not from people who want to go to T14s, but who want to go to um, like T100s or lower and they want to apply last minute. And so that's one trend I've been hearing a lot in the last few weeks. I, I know you guys know way more about this than I do, but I'm hearing like people are really liking the flex. Um, they're really kind of happy with it. I'm with Ben. I think it's going to be here for a little while in August for sure. Um, I mean, I say for sure. Elsa doesn't say for sure, but I, I mean, I can't see people sitting in a room together in August uh, taking an LSAT. Um, so, I mean, those are some interesting things. Um, hear a lot about GRE versus LSAT, of course. And the thing I don't want to read about in um, personal statements this fall is COVID. <laughs> okay. And I'll say one other, one other thing I've been hearing a lot about is people are really upset, not upset, they're worried about their resumes not showing work experience this summer because their jobs got canceled, right? But you know me, I'm a big believer in worrying about what you can worry about and controlling what you can control and forgetting the rest. Law schools are very aware of the situation that internships are being canceled, even for law students, right? So I wouldn't worry too much about having blank space on your resume. It's more about what are you going to do with it? You're going to use it to take the LSAT. You're going to use it to get your law school applications together. You're going to use it to learn to play guitar. Like, what are you going to do with that time? So that's just throwing at you some of the things I've been talking to people about in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, no, this is great, actually. Can can I go back for a second? I want to talk a little bit about deferrals. Um, before COVID-19, my impression was if you wanted to defer for a year, it was kind of a given. Is that not true? It depends. I, I never felt that way, Ben. I felt like especially with a scholarship, you had to be willing to walk away from a scholarship. And then for deferral, I felt like most schools wanted you to have a reason, either financial or you had some great opportunity that would make you more interesting in law school and to employers after, but generally mm -hmm. not just because. Um, mm. Because remember, that's very hard for, an en for enrollment management at the law schools to just grant sure. deferrals willy-nilly. So I never felt like they were just handed out. Um, mm -hmm. I, especially at top law schools, I felt like, um, deferrals were something you had to have a, a substantive reason to request. Okay. That's interesting. So, and then, but now the, the number of people asking for it is going to put the pressure on them to say, look, no, maybe. Yeah. I think they, if I were running an admission office, I, I would have a hard time granting a deferral right now because how am I going to make budget? Um, <laughs> but, but the other piece and on top of that is that, um, what are you also risk losing them, I guess. But you do. And what are you going to do? Right, because they can reapply. But what are you going to do during that year off? Right. There's not great employment opportunities. Right. There's not great volunteer opportunities right now. Like, what are people really going to do during that time off, other than retake your precious LSAT? I. So I'm. I'm a little dubious of the waiting year. I know people are scared because this will be a, a more competitive cycle because the. the you know, it, I'm really feeling. I'm acting like it's going to be 2000 fall 2009 cycle. You know what I mean? From when 2008, um, the recession came too late in 2008 for people to regroup and apply law school that cycle. So it all came the next cycle when the economy was bad. I think that that's what we are going to see, maybe not in as big numbers, but I think it will be a competitive cycle, especially because the deferrals, especially because people will decide not to attend this fall and to reapply when they can't get deferrals. So I think it's going to be competitive, but not so much that I would scare anyone off if they really want to start in fall 2021. Okay. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Can I, one more random speculation. I've heard people talking about uh, law schools treating the fa- the flex differently. Have you heard people worrying about this? I've heard people worrying about this, and I think this is one of those Reddit rumors. Um, so all I can say is this. So I haven't actually um, talked to my friends in law school admission about who are still working in law, school, uh, law schools about this, but if I were making decisions, I'd say the LSAT flex is something that I can report to. It, you know, it's reportable to ABA. It counts toward the rankings. It's what's available right now. How can I punish people for taking a test that's the only thing available right now? I mean, I would look at it like, okay, this is what it is. This is what we have to work with this cycle. And that's what I'm going to rely upon for admissions. And um, perhaps it will make me look a little closer, like give a little more weight to someone who has a super high GPA rather than a super high LSAT, because that's over four years rather than three 35 minute sections or what have you. I also think the fact that you can take the flex without accounting against the number of times you take the test is a benefit as well, because it gives people are more inclined to retake it. So it gives admission officers a sense of consistency over scores and growth over scores that can be relied on. So to me, if I, as a decision maker, I'm happy to take a flex. That's what's available. That's what I'm going to take. I'll go from there. How would they be treating it differently? Would they be discounting it in some way? Because That's what people are worried about, that it won't count for as much because it's not a five-section proctored, you know, formally proctored test. Mm. Um, but to be honest, I, I don't share that worry. I know that, and you know, that law school applicants have a tendency to find the tiniest little details to place great stress over that have really no bearing whatsoever on whether they get into their law schools they want to get into. And to me, worrying about whether the flex is as is, is going to be discounted by law schools is one of those things that I would say is a total waste of time to focus on. Um, it is what's available. You take it to apply to law school. You do the best you can on it. If you have to retake it, you have to retake it. But don't stress over how the law schools are going to evaluate it the only thing you've got to work with. Just, you know, um, I wish people would spend more time stressing over their reasons for going to law school, (laughs) as opposed to all this little minutia that doesn't really matter personally to their outcomes. It's almost like we have three levels, right? Decide whether or not you really want to do this and go. If you are confident and you have good reasons for going, then in the application like package, what would you say people should be most concerned about? LSAT score? Anything well, else? Well, I mean, look, we all know that LSAT score helps determine where you can be competitive. It's not the only thing. I mean, I had two clients in at Harvard this year with LSATs in the low 160s. So by no means am I an LSAT snob, okay? Mm-hmm. But I think having a cohesive story um, and a compelling story in your application, if I didn't believe that that was essential to people succeeding, I couldn't wake up every day and take people's money and do what I do for the last... 16 some odd years, right? I feel that that's where the the juice is, right? If you can really show a law school that you've done things thoughtfully, meaningfully, you've taken lessons that apply uh, to other aspects of your life and to your future career, you've put a lot of thought into who you want to be and how you're going to get there. I mean, those intangibles, if they're presented effectively in an application, make a huge difference. And honestly, that's really what the book is about, is how do you explain uh, weaknesses in your application uh, because not everyone, but almost everyone has some kind of weakness in their application, right? Like either they just don't have enough work experience or their work experience isn't relevant to law school or they they had a bad year or bad semester or they didn't go to the most rigorous undergraduate school or they have, you know, their else their standardized testing history isn't amazing or they've been arrested. Like 
there's there's generally all no one's perfect, right? There are very few perfect at law school applicants. So I, I really challenge people through the book to figure out what your weaknesses are, then counterbalance them with your strengths and make sure that you're acknowledging or addressing any weaknesses that have to be um, hit face forward, you know, and you just have to be straightforward about, and then think about, think about what strengths counterbalance that. So if you had, if you started school, you know, 12 years ago and, and your early grades were crap and then you joined the military and then you went online while you were deployed, but your, your grades were solid at that time. Like, don't think of the online education and the early grades as a weakness. Think of that as a growth story. Think of that as showing how much you can handle at once, how dedicated you were to your studies. Like, if people really evaluate that and put that forward, law schools will appreciate what you bring to the table. And that's really what, whether you're building your resume, personal statement, diversity statement, addenda, that's really the key. So, I mean, I kind of took what you said on a tangent, Ben, so sorry for that. But I mean, I, no, I think all good. of that really, really matters. And if I didn't believe it matters, I couldn't do what I do and and write books about it four times over 10 years. So I think that it's easy to fixate on little things like the LFAT flex will be discounted or things like that. But really, in the end, it's about who you are as a person. Um, you need, obviously, scores that show you can succeed and compete. But that's kind of, it's just part of the equation. Would you say that who you are as a person and conveying that to the law school is one, it comes through your personal statement, but it also comes through your optional essays, your addenda, and just how you, I imagine, communicate with the school, right? Like, I, I, like Can we talk about that? Sure. I would like to talk about that. So <clears throat> recently, um, I and a number of other law school admission consultants received inquiries from someone who wants to apply to law school where it was very clear his language was a little off, okay? That it, it wasn't really appropriate how you address people and how, you and how much you tell someone during your first encounter. So those of us who have the luxury of deciding with whom we work, right? Because time is limited and we, you know, no one's entitled to our time as professionals, right? We can, we can choose how to spend our time and expertise. So this person was kind of told by all of the reputable admission consultants, like, um, sorry, either some people said we're full and I just was honest and said, I don't think I can be of help to you. <laughs> um, so this person got pretty upset and someone left a comment on my blog about, you know, why would you refuse to help someone, you know, and, and this person sent me that person who, who, you know, was refused services sent a long demand for explanation for why no one would work with him. So here's the thing. If you talk to admission consultants that way, think of, and then you go talk to law schools that way. Like, yeah, I mean, how you talk to a law school, how you present yourself, like you're going to be a lawyer in the next three to five years. You need to conduct yourself as a professional. People will not work with jerks. People will not work with people who seem off. So, and people, you know, if you overshare in your application, if you come off as blaming other people for your problems, if you come off as arrogant, any of these things will set off a law school and immediately put you in a ding pile. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that that is something that some people are self-aware enough about to filter and some people are not. And it can come through in a personal statement. It can come through in a resume just by the way you describe your duties. I mean, we've all seen resumes from people who've been legal assistants or paralegals who make it sound like they were doing all the legal work and their attorney was just signing stuff. I mean, that doesn't come off well, <laughs> right? That doesn't reflect well on you. And, and no one is going to believe you're practicing law. And if you are, then you should be arrested because unlicensed practice of law. So, you know, I think that, that there this, this advice applies to a very small subset of law school applicants, but it is something I see every year. 
you know, mm-hmm. whether just on people's contact forms reaching out to me or the questions I'll get um, on the blog or, you know, every so often a client will sneak through that I have to really filter because <laughs> I do initial consults to make sure everyone's a good fit, that this is someone I really want to help, et cetera. And um, sometimes someone will sneak through that I didn't quite filter enough and I have to really work with that person to teach them how to be humble, how to be um, credible. And and I think those are, I mean, it sounds so silly. Like I'm sure a lot of people are listening going, well, this is dumb. Like who does this even apply to? But it does apply to some people. And my guess of course is that the people it applies to won't hear this and it'll go in one ear and out the other. But I think that it is something that um, is a, is a reason that people get dinged from law school yeah. frequently. Cool. The book is called uh, The Law School Admission Game. This is the fourth edition of it. And you guys are uh, awesome in it, by the way. I've got lots of Nathan and Ben quotes. That's awesome. Um, You want to uh, stick around, Anne, and uh, talk about some of these news items with us? Yes. Can I have espresso while we do it? Of course. Okay, let's go. As long as I can eat my ice cream. Ice cream? cream? Oh, I guess it's lunchtime there. It's still coffee well, here. Wow. Yeah, I'm doing intermittent fasting, you know? So Yeah. I, I don't have like a huge you're window. You're looking a little so- thin, I got to say. <laughs> fit. I should say you're looking yeah, fit. That's not my goal. So fit? maybe this is a fail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm. But ice cream is one way to get calories fast. So It is. This first item on the agenda, uh, somebody got their LSAC fee waiver appeal denied. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and read yeah, it. Go for so it. we got an email. First email says, I spoke with a representative from LSAC and they told me they're still basing the appeal decision on our income from last year. I emphasized that our current household income has been impacted due to COVID as I wrote in my letter and also sent supporting documents, but I guess it still wasn't enough. He suggests that I send a new email with the results listing my expenses Uh, Okay, and then email number two. I tried to argue that COVID didn't affect people until this year. My husband's income is more than half of our household income, and he works for an airline where their workforce was significantly reduced. COVID is definitely an unforeseen issue, and I thought it was super dumb! Exclamation point. We have a mortgage, two vehicles, utilities, and such. Not sure what other expenses they want us to list. I don't know. I'm going to try calling and ask another representative. If they're basing it on the previous year, then I should have a better chance of an approval in 2021. Uh, Considering what I have going on and holding off on my exam, not sure if the juice is worth the squeeze at this point. (laughs) And that is Monette. So do you have any more on that, Ben? Or this is just came in through the, this came in through the help at thinking else at. Okay. Yeah. I think she might email me directly, but yeah, I just oh. was like, hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I was surprised that they based it on last year's income. Uh, COVID wouldn't have any effect on that. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of crazy. And do you have anything to say about the LSAC fee waiver? You know, I I wish I did. Um, I don't have a, um, that's not something I usually assist people with. I am not, I'm not sure, but Sometimes generally with LSAC, you have to pound them over the head to talk sense into them. And then they realize what they're doing makes no sense. So I guess I would just give a little cheer for perseverance to try one more time to make the argument, maybe get on the phone with an actual human being and see if someone will squeeze the juice for you a little bit. Um, And uh, yeah, but that's, I guess I just want to say that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. 
No, I agree. LSAC is a monopoly, and they sometimes seem to be a little tone deaf. And then they once they get it, though, they tend to run in that direction in some cases. I don't know. Maybe so. would she get a fee waiver from the GRE? Go that route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, speaking of uh, the LSAC monopoly, and the, what, what's going on, Anne, with the GRE now? Oh, geez, I'm, I, I should ask you guys. I remember years ago we're talking and Ben's telling me law schools are going to start accepting GRE. I'm like, no! no, not, ben. no. <laughs> well, I think you were right about that. I don't, where well, is that today? You were I, right I haven't heard it. it. I don't know. You know what? Um, I, I'm still not a fan of taking a GRE to go to law school um, because, A, it's very hard to predict where you'll be competitive, even with the conversion of the scores. And second of all, um, I've seen that people who apply with GREs are not as competitive with scholarships. They're not getting uh, scholarship offers in the same way that the percentile of oh, GRE is. The GRE isn't going to affect your U.S. news. Not going to help anyway. the law school's ranking. So it's not. Um, also, doesn't it just send the message that you're like not really as serious? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. To me, it's like you didn't put in the effort to just take a four-hour yeah. test. Like, yeah, I don't know. It'll, to me, it sends a, a different few message. Things, a few things with it. Um, that's one of the things. Um, the other is the only, sometimes it, it, there's a good argument for it because it's just more available, especially overseas. It's more available. Now you mm-hmm. can take the LSAT so often <laughs> comparatively to, to how it was just two, three years ago that I don't really find that to be as compelling, but yeah, I, I would rather see people take the LSAT. The mistake I think people make is taking the GRE after they don't do well on the LSAT, thinking they'll do better on the GRE because they're math people. But the law schools are still going to rely on that LSAT score. It's not like you can hide the LSAT score. And if you take the GRE and mess it up, most schools will require you to send them the GRE score. So you're screwed. I mean, either way, you should not take a standardized test until you're ready to take it. Okay? Until you're ready to have a score, you'd be happy for people to see, basically. But um, I'm just, I'm not on board the GRE. I think I give it one paragraph in the book. Like, seriously, I I think... um, it's, it's not ideal. It'll work in some situations. I had a client last year who got into Harvard with just a GRE score, but he was a really exceptional person who had a PhD. And I mean, just a super exceptional human being with like 4.0s at Stanford all through, you know, it, yeah, no one it, was going to doubt his ability to compete at Harvard, but for the, most applicants, I think the GRE is problematic. Well, it's still only what ten percent of schools that that are even accepting the GRE for law school admissions. I don't know percentage. I feel like there's I mean, there's a list of schools on LSAC um, that people can access that will take the GRE. Yeah. We've said before on the show, it just seems like the type of thing where if you already have an elite GRE score for like your PhD student that your client that you had, I mean, that's the, that's the type of person that maybe you could just apply with a GRE because you're such a badass that you're going to get in anyway. I mean... I guess the counter argument there is that that person also could have gone and killed the LSAT. I'm sure Correct. it wouldn't have been that big Correct. of a deal to sign up. And he would have been it. fine. Trust me. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I think that to me, the biggest incentive I would have for people to take LSAT over GRE would be scholarships. And I know you guys would agree with me that scholarships should be a guiding force, if not the only, but a guiding force. And so in, in decision-making and to me, that's the reason you still take the LSAT. Cool. Um, you want to move on to this next email, Ben? Yeah, I'll jump in. So uh, this is the Flex Raw to Scaled Score Conversion Table. It says, Dear Miss Bradley, who is this to? 
This is in reply to your email correspondence dated June 13th, 2020 regarding score conversion tables for the LSAT Flex administrations. Okay, oh yeah, this is an email from LSAC to one of our listeners. For non-disclosed tests, including all Flex administrations, LSAC does not disclose the raw to scaled score conversion table. LSAC advises all test takers to prepare as thoroughly as possible so as to perform at their very best on each test. For any additional information, please see our Flex website, um, which is super long, by the way. Thank you for your interest in the LSAT Flex. Sincerely, Um, LSAC. Well, yeah, so we know that each section is treated roughly equal, but that's all we know. And that was from a webinar that President Kelly Testy conducted. So we're actually going to integrate this into the daemon, Ben. Mm-hmm. Can we say that we're, yes. we're going mm-hmm. to start having flex conversion tables on the daemon? We are. Okay, and here's our methodology because this is as close as we can get to it. And I think that this is 99% as close as you need, even need to get. Like, there's You don't need to do more than this. You take a real LSAT score conversion table. And you just multiply all of those numbers by 75%, not the uh, 120 to 180 scores, but the number that you need to get correct. You, you drop one of the logical reasoning sections from the test. There's two logical reasoning sections on every test. You drop one of those because that's what they did for the flex. You drop one of those. You re- you're left with three sections. So three out of the four scored sections are remaining. You do those three scored sections. You count up how many you got right. And then when you look at the score conversion table, you just multiply all those numbers by 75%, and that's going to give you, and then still use the same 120 to 180 scoring scale. Yeah. That's it. And that's going to get you as close as anybody could possibly get. I suppose you could, you could also, if you wanted to, before you do that step, you could take both sections of the LR and then average your number correct from those two scored sections in case one of the sections was harder or easier. But I don't even think you need to really bother with that stuff. Yeah. And you know, it, it doesn't hurt to get used to the swing, right? Like if a section is easier and your score goes up and if it's harder and your section, (laughs) the score goes down, that's the swing you're going to see on LSAT flex day anyways. So Right. And so it's, it's kind of stupid. We're, we're going to integrate that into the LSAT demon. Um, we're not going to be out there yelling about how we're offering official free or sorry, official LSAT flex tests. There, there is no such thing as an official LSAT flex practice that's test. A, that's I'm a sorry, straight up not. lie. <laughs> yes, that is a straight up we lie. We had to look at that <laughs> and go, wait, do we not have access to something that someone else does? No, it's just, uh, no, what those are, the company they are official LSAT practice tests. <laughs> Where they just dropped one of the sections of LR, and so that, that's all it is. It's not. There's nothing magical. Uh, there are nobody has the secret LSAT flex practice tests. They're, they do not exist. But we we are going to at least convert those scoring scales for you, and let you do a test where you drop one of the sections of LR, uh, and then use the converted the the new um, scoring scale. But it's still just you know an estimate. It's just a lie. It's fake. It's as close as we can get. It's not official in any sense, except for that the questions that you did were the real LSAT questions and the scoring scale is a converted scoring scale as best as we can estimate it. Cool. All right. And do you want to say anything about that? Um, I, I think I need a drink after listening to that. My, 
I got it though. Too much 75%, math. percent Too many numbers. Point seven five. No, I got it. I'm good. I understand. <laughs> take take the three section test. Be done. Be glad you don't have an experimental. Count your blessings. Move on. Right. Well, have a, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey. So, by the way, do you have access to our agenda, Anne? No, I was told about the agenda at the beginning of the thing. Why are you going to throw in a little surprise? And no, I just I want you to I want you to read one of these emails. But Nathan, I think you should read this next one because this is about your rant. Sure. Um, it says, "Hi team, I wrote an LSAT question out of Nathan's flawed argument about coronavirus." Sounds judgy. Okay. Yeah, I was not making a flawed argument about coronavirus. Um, someone might have misinterpreted my argument to think that I was making a flawed argument about coronavirus, but um, I, I wasn't. Um, here's the stimulus. If we have coronavirus under control, that means the hospitals haven't been overrun. That's, I, I did not say any of that. The hospitals haven't been overrun, therefore we have coronavirus under control. Well, that obviously confuses sufficient for necessary. It goes on and says, many healthcare workers would laugh at the statement that hospitals haven't been overrun. But for the sake of the argument, I will accept the premise that hospitals haven't been overrun as true. Yeah, but see, this person didn't present... Well, okay, yeah. So the premise the hospitals haven't been overrun is part of this argument that this person wrote. Yes. The anal- All right, I hate this. Ben, do you want to keep talking about this? This is dumb. I, I want to, I want to, <laughs> yes. It's like, so this person is like thinking that they're, they're, they're showing me what a, what a mistaken reversal is, like what yeah. a flawed contrapositive is. Yeah. I know what a flawed contrapositive is. We all know what a flawed contrapositive is. The, the argument that I made about coronavirus is my impression at the beginning of all of the lockdowns was the worst case scenario was the hospitals get overrun and we have to make sure that the hospitals don't get overrun. And I think we all agree that we don't want the hospitals to get overrun. And so everybody stayed home and was very careful because we didn't want the hospitals to be overrun. And yeah, oh, fine. I mean, New York City, they were. That's the problem is that they actually were getting overrun in New York City and they were setting up tents in Central Park to treat coronavirus patients. And that was scary as shit. Okay. Well, we did lock down and we did keep that from happening in the vast majority of cases. Because so far. So far, sure. And I and and it could obviously happen again. Um <laughs> I think so. This is I think what happens is people are incapable of understanding nuance. They see things as entirely one way or entirely the other way. And they just didn't catch because what I was saying was, hey, we can't stay in lockdown for five years without (laughs) coming out. It ain't happening. And we all did very well, I think, in the very beginning, at least as far as shutting it down for a while and keeping the worst case nightmare scenario at bay. We also cannot eliminate the virus. That is not a thing. I mean, we could start doing contact tracing and, and like, but if we're not going to do that, then we are not going to stop. Well, it's failing. The the reliance on contact tracing only works to the extent that people will give personal information about who they've been exposed to, which they're finding in New York, people will not tell people who they've been (laughs) exposed to. So the whole contact tracing effort is because they're afraid of stigma. 
So, um, and being too personal about who they're spending time with and they don't want it right. public. So, um, the contract tracing, contact tracing is actually not working. And I also think, you know, I have a different perspective too, because California handled this initially much better. Now we're ne- not necessarily like tomorrow I get to go get my nails done. I'm not sure why that makes any sense, but, right. um, and I could go get a tattoo tomorrow if I wanted, but for the most part, Ooh. California is handling things pretty well. So this might, there might be a regional assumption in the question. Yeah. The, the, I'll, I'll say again, the thing that I was saying on that, on that rant was, I I don't accept the governor of the state of California mandating masks all the time without any subtlety to it. I think it's just stupid to be wearing a mask when you're on a hike. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think you're giving anybody coronavirus while you're passing them on the street. If you're not stopping and talking to someone, if you're not stopping and interacting with someone, I do not think that that is a significant enough coronavirus risk to merit wearing a mask all the goddamn time, even when you're outside. That's the rule in California? Just makes no sense. What's that's that? the rule in California? You have to wear it all the well, time when you're outside your house? If you, Yeah, that's allegedly. I mean, it, so the thing is, like, that's what Gavin Newsom is like. He, it's just if it, when you boil it down to a tweet, right, which is what everybody does now is just boil everything down to a headline or just a tweet. And it's like, that's the law in the state of California. And then if you actually look at the, you know, there's a memorandum that goes behind it, which no one ever even looks at. But then it's like, you know, if you're going to be interacting with people, if, if you can't avoid close interactions with people, and I'm sorry, but if I'm hiking in Griffith Park, or even if I'm just walking around Los Angeles, I am able to stay far enough away from people that there is no significant risk that I'm transmitting coronavirus. <laughs> and that's just that, see, it takes more than five seconds to say that. And so that's why neither, you know, neither side of this debate, which is stupid that we're even having a debate, it's only politicized here. It's not even politics in any other country except for the United States. It's just all one way or all the other way. <laughs> and so, you know, now you just get like all the, all the blue team is like harassing people about not wearing masks. Even when you're outside on the street, like random stranger yelling at you in the park because you're not wearing a mask. It's like, well, why are you talking to me? If you're so worried about the coronavirus transmission, then get out of my face. I wasn't in your face. (laughs) What are you doing? Um, But then the other team, you know, of course, the like Trumpers are just like, I will never wear a mask. This is fascism. You know, even I I have a right to go into Walmart (laughs) without a mask. Which is just stupid too. So anyway, we should probably get off of the COVID rant. Can you even believe we're talking about this? Like a year ago, like who, like this was going to be something you would have to rant about. It's crazy. It's yeah, it's insane. Speaking of crazy, how about the president? <laughs> well, how about the president okay. <laughs> going down? Apparently is intending to just go down in racist flames. Like just, he he's like losing the election and he's just now doubling down on like going like saying kung flu as a punchline and and that's like the least of it. there i saw an article in the new york times i think it was an opinion article but just yesterday about how he's basically running for president of the new confederacy yeah Whoa. he takes every possible like he he tries his best to get around to the chinese virus and then just, you know, like he's, he's building up to his punchline of calling it the Kung flu. He makes headlines for, and he really likes headlines. 
I'm going to show you. I don't know if it'll come through on the video, okay? But someone posted this on my Facebook. It's a Far Side commercial, or not Far Side commercial. You know what I mean? A cartoon, uh, basically. The cartoon, so it's yeah. like Trump are trying to get into the rally in Tulsa and pushing when it says pull, and this is the real reason why the seats are empty. I love it. it made me so happy. That's awesome. That's a classic Far Side. Oh, that's um, good. You gotta laugh because uh, if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah. Or do yeah, drugs. I'm kidding. So yeah. Wow. Um, well, yeah, hopefully things change soon. And you have this document. I saw the document. I have the document, your agenda. Would you be willing to read an email? Oh God, you're scaring me. Yes. What page of this extensive document? We're on the E prime one right above the pictures of those random characters that don't make any sense to me. Nathan will have to expound. This is, this is from demon subscriber, Greg with the Wikipedia link. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. E prime short for English prime or English prime. I'm learning something today. Sometimes denoted E eh, or E. Okay. Is a version of the English language that excludes all forms of the verb to be. So basically it's like Hebrew. There's no is, there's no to be. Okay. Including all conjugations, contractions, and archaic forms. And then there's like, yeah, I don't know. What? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. What is this, Nathan? Did you put this in here? Uh, it, we got an email about okay. it. I can't. It might have been one of the students in the class mm-hmm. uh, in the uh, Demon Live class gave gave us this link. Um, one of the frequent writing tips that we give is to watch out for passive construction. Passive construction when you use is, was, were. So instead of using an active verb, you're just saying blank is blank or this was that or this you know were whatever what you're doing is you're just using you're relying too heavily on one verb which is to be and instead instead of using more active language and it's a it's a real easy writing tip um to just you can sort of like control f and look for is and was and were and all of the forms of the of the verb to be. I guess a lot of um, I was. I read a lot in personal statement first drafts. I was. I was. I was. Um, I think I think that this is a good thing to watch out for. But I, I want to make sure that people don't take this and and think they should never they they should avoid all uses of to be right. Yeah. Um, this is not meant to be an extreme, but I think this is a good writing uh, tip. A practice, right? Is to, it, and I always use the control app and say, how many times? I feel like I just read that word in this essay. How many times did I just read "I was" or how many times did I just read "I did"? How many times did I just read the word? Um, oh gosh, I get. Um, there's some that I get all the time in school essays. You know, why the school essay? People use the same word, program or or experience. Like, and I'll do a find and replace, like highlight. How many times did they use the word experience or opportunity in this essay? And it'll be like four times and. Um, those kinds of, this is a good exercise of that, but also just generally to be very cognizant of word choice. You can repeat a word, but if it's a distinctive word, you have to be very careful with it. Yes. The basic writing tip is just to try to use active verbs instead of being so damn passive. So give everyone an example, Nathan. Give someone an example instead of, like, tell them Uh, what a better verb would be rather than I. Well, on this Wikipedia page, there's a couple examples here, um, where it's saying, uh, predication so uh if you're gonna say like the cat is furry i think this is the worst example actually well you you could have told that story in a different way i mean all you're doing now is you're telling me that this is that 
you know, I am whatever. And that's just straight telling when they could be showing. So instead of just using is to describe yourself or I am to describe yourself, instead you could show me doing something, show yourself doing something so that I can reach that conclusion myself. Like just when we have I am adjective, nobody's believe, no one's going to believe that because you have to demonstrate it. Well, let's go. That's a great point. So let's go back to, to, okay. So, so this E prime thing is like a very specific example of this, but really what we're talking about is that thing I always tell everyone about how um, you, you want uh, to avoid conclusive statements and rather um, provide facts to prove the conclusion. Right. And that's how you get through law school and and a legal profession as well. Right. So this is the same thing as that rely on facts. It's more credible. It's more interesting rather than saying I have um, I developed work ethic. You say by um, having to catch the 5 a.m. train to get to my internship, and da, 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 you're showing work ethic, right? Yeah. So, so it's it's the same principle. It's just not as overwhelming with as fancy a name. So you always want to use facts to to get the reader interested and credibility reasons. And you there's very little reason to have. Um, conclusive statements. For example, I was just working with a client on his personal statement and I felt like four times in the essay, he made a point of saying my experience in real estate um, led me uh, to become interested in law. Well, if you're giving the example for what issues in real estate you encounter that are legal, you don't need to say the rest. Use every word wisely. And that is, you know, you get what, two pages double space at most schools Use every word wisely. This is what lawyers do. They use words wisely. Um, I'd rather, you know, some one of my clients likes to write letters of continuing interest that are six pages long. I'm exaggerating. I have to tell him, my challenge to you is to do this in two paragraphs. If you can't do it in two paragraphs, it's crap. It means you have nothing to say. You can say almost anything in two paragraphs. I think that real estate example that you gave is, is good, um, where if he would have just talked about the relevant experiences, just shown himself doing the relevant things, the reader's not an idiot. The reader's going to reach that same conclusion without him saying my real estate in my experiences in real estate, therefore have led me to want to practice. Like why do people have to robotically at the, in the, <laughs> the last paragraph of their personal statement always say, and I am therefore applying to law school, you know, <laughs> these are oh the God. reasons why I now oh am my God. applying. <laughs> what? Kill me now. Yeah. Kill me now. Yeah. If we don't know that by the time we get to the conclusion, you have not written a very effective personal statement. There you go. Just saying. So look, there the E-Pride thing was relevant after all. <laughs> now I'm going to try to figure out how this next thing, dead of winter characters, um, and you have to hop off. So this soon, is a... Right? So. Maybe we can yeah, get I'll one let more. you guys go because I get lost at anything that involves cartoon characters or movie characters. Or I, I, I am useless. So thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Always great to see you. That's Anne Levine, uh, LawSchoolExpert.com. And the book is available now. It's the fourth edition of the Law School Admission Game. Thanks, guys. Um, Talk to you later. Thanks, Thanks Anne. Yeah. Thanks. All right, dude. What is this? <laughs> so this is, um, I'm playing what my favorite board game the other night. Okay. okay. Not my favorite board game. One of many favorite board games. I actually was going to, um, suggest that maybe you and the boys might like playing it, but I, I looked at the box and it said ages 13 and up. Hmm. 
So um, maybe it's not so good, especially for the the little ones. I mean, I think they're smart enough to figure it out. There are definitely some adult themes and stuff in it, so it, you might want to censor it slightly. But okay. Uh, anyway, this game it's called Dead of Winter, and it's a um, cooperative like uh, survival game set in uh, sort of zombie apocalypse type of thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you're like in this compound with a bunch of characters and you're, everybody has like special abilities and you're trying to survive. Okay. It's really cool. Um, kind of in the vein of uh, pandemic or forbidden desert or a bunch of other like cooperative games that I like to play. Sure. This one has a fun mechanism where it has secret identities in it as well. Yeah. So mm-hmm. one or more of the players might turn out to be a betrayer. Mm. And you wouldn't really know until halfway through the game. And then all of a sudden you can tell that like your one of your kids is trying to like fuck up the colony <laughs> and you're going to, mm. and you eventually like have to exile them from the economy or potential or sorry, exile them from the colony or possibly yeah. uh, fight them or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So I'm playing it with just one other friend of mine. And when you play with just one other person, you can't really um, have that betrayer mechanism because if you're not the betrayer, then you would know that the other person would be the betrayer, and so mm-hmm. then it's like the secretiveness is gone. So, yeah, we're we're playing a a variant of the game. It's in the rule book where you can play a a two player cooperative version of the game. Okay, and when you do it on the lower right hand corner of certain cards, there's this little red circle. I think you can barely see it there in that image. There's a little red circle on a couple of the cards and you remove those cards from the game because they are uncooperative. Okay. They're, mm-hmm. they're just like, they don't work well with just a fully cooperative version of the game. Hmm. So I'm digging through the cards and I'm, I'm just separating out the stuff that we're not going to use for this fully cooperative version of the game. Ah, uh, yeah. And I, I <laughs> there, are, there are two player characters who get removed from the game when you're playing the fully cooperative version of the game. The first one, his name is Greybeard, and his occupation listed on the card is Pirate. Pirate, yeah. So he's he's an actual pirate, and he's holding what looks to be like an Uzi or something. <laughs> and they're like, okay, if you're playing the co-op version of the game where everybody's trying to get along, you don't use Greybeard in the game. So I, yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So I pull Greybeard out. I go through the whole deck, and there's only one other character in the entire game who you cannot use in the co-op version of the game, and that person is Annalee Chan, and her occupation, Lawyer. Lawyer. So <laughs> I was just, I, it just struck me that it was very amusing that it's like, oh, so there's, there's, <laughs> of all the characters in this entire thing, the two that you can't use if you're going to play co op are the pirate and the, and the lawyer. lawyer. And I just <laughs> thought that was worth a joke. Yeah. That's all. So good luck with your applications to law school and becoming uh, essentially a pirate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An uncooperative <laughs> member of the colony. It is not a let's all get along type of a profession that you're getting yourself into. It's a let's fight about it type of a profession. Yeah. Um, that's the that's just the truth of the matter. So I'm glad that, to know that the board game makers uh, recognized that. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks for sharing. What's the name of this game? Dead of Winter? Okay. Dead of Winter. Yeah, it's it's really fun. If you have you ever played any co-op games with the boys? No. 
Oh, that you, term you is new to. to me right now. Yeah, it's just games where you're all playing on the same team instead of playing on opposite teams. You should start with a game called Forbidden Desert. That's the first one I started with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like you, you're you all on the same helicopter that crash lands in the desert, and then you have to do stuff to survive as a as a team. It's really great. I think you'll really dig it. I, I, didn't, I never cared about board games mm. until I started playing these co-op board games. And once I started playing games where everybody's on the same team, now I'm like super into them hmm. so everybody's on the same team everybody's in the colony every yep on and there's no yeah for forbidden desert it's kind of simple everybody's just on the same team and there's no betrayer or anything like that pandemic is the same way another really great game and that one you're saving the world from um outbreaks of viruses so it's timely Does this come out before or after no 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 pandemic has <clears throat> been out for 10 years probably hmm but yeah, pick up one or both of those. I think you you and the boys will really enjoy. They're super fun. Cool. Well, um, the next thing we have on the agenda is Test 65, Section 4, Question 4, which is a logical reasoning question. I just pulled this up in the demon, and it has two speakers. So I thought maybe I could take one and you could take the other. All right, let's fight about it. <laughs> My name is Gabby, and this is what I have to say. Again, test 65, section 4, question 4. Gabby says, In school, children should be allowed fully to follow their own interests, supported by experienced teachers who offer minimal guidance. Okay. Um, I'm trying to tell people what they should do in school. That sounds like that's going to be my conclusion. And... um, that's a little strange. I mean, fully to follow their own interests? Like what? They're just going to do Minecraft all day? I don't, I don't, I'm a little skeptical of this. You're criticizing yourself? Yeah. Your own <laughs> argument? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's actually wise of you because otherwise, <laughs> me playing Logan, I'm going to jump all over that shit. So yeah. Yeah, you, you should. Oh, maybe you, I should. You're acknowledging. You do that. I should pretend to be like fully convinced by this. Children should be allowed fully to follow their own interests, supported by experienced teachers who offer minimal guidance. This enables them to be most successful in their adult lives. Logan. <laughs> That's your argument, Gabby? Yeah. You're trying to tell yeah. people what to do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the thing that if I'm Logan and I see Gabby just use the word should, mm-hmm. um, should is the F word of the LSAT. Like when mm. you when you have when when you see should in one of these arguments, that just needs to be like flashing at you, you know? Yeah. Um you're Gabby's trying to boss people around. And there's gonna be a lawyer on the other side who does not want their client to be bossed around. You know? And so mm-hmm. it's like, wait a second, Gabby. It's it, it seems like a matter of opinion anyway, right? Like I Gabby's second sentence, this enables them to be most successful in their adult lives. I don't think I am going to grant that. I just don't, I don't think I'm accepting that as a premise. Like where's Mm -hmm. your evidence in support of that? It just doesn't feel like you, you really can make that claim as a premise. Yeah. It's like Gabby has a sketchy premise and then a conclusion that like, therefore, um, well, they should have experienced teachers, but the teachers should, should only offer minimal guidance because children should be allowed fully to follow their own interests and it's like, yeah, well, you know what kids want to do is goof around. Kids want to yeah. play video games. I mean, now if I was going to make the counter to that counter. 
Maybe that is good for them, right? (laughs) In real life, it's probably better. That's probably what they should be doing, yeah. (laughs) When I found out that my kids only had like 15 minutes for recess, I was, I hit the roof, man. I was, I just couldn't believe it. They're like, oh yeah, we have 20 minutes for eating. And then, and as soon as we're done, we're allowed to run out, but we can't run out until everyone else is done. And I'm like, wait, hold up. You got 15 minutes to play right after you ate, you eat for 20 minutes and then you go run. Like to me, it's just the whole day is a waste. You can't, you can't focus, right? That'd be like telling, telling our listeners, like go study LSAT for, Eight hours, and you can you can have a you can have a right. forty five minute break. Otherwise, get right. back on it. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I hate school. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> if I was to run a school, you know, if I was if if I like if you let me educate your kid, mm-hmm. I think probably all we would do is like play board games or play video games. Like it's so oh, good yeah. for. Yeah. I have a niece that I play board games and video games with, and it's like I can't believe how great it is for her to have to figure out the rules of the game. You know, mm-hmm. we play mm-hmm. these games where it's like the rules aren't even that apparent and you have to just sort of experiment and tinker around and then infer, you know, what's going to happen if I go try to talk to that bad guy or to that guy? Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, there's yeah. one way to find out. You're going to have to go up there and see what happens and then it might be good, might be bad and you're going to have to roll with the punches and just kind of improvise. And um, Have you ever played can- Settlers of Catan? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I love playing that game with the kids because there's chance, obviously, but there's a decent amount of strategy and those are the perfect games to get them like thinking, you know? Yeah. Wait till you see how these cooperative game works, co- mm. cooperative games work. You're going to love it because then they're going to have to actually like think through what the other player is going to do to help the team. And there'll be a mm-hmm. little bit of maybe even negotiating about like, well, if you do this, then I could do this and then we could do this. And then everybody wins or loses together, but it's, um, it's like a big puzzle. You know, every, every new game of forbidden desert or every new game of pandemic is like, okay, we have these different resources. We have these different skill sets. We have these different problems that we have to solve. How are Mm -hmm. we going to win? You know, how are we going to get there to this solution? And I mean, I will be like literally high-fiving my friends and stuff when we play because it's, it's like finally calibrated to where, you can set the difficulty to the right level where it's going to be hard. Like we like Mm. to play it where we're going to lose sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then when you actually make it, then it's like you, you know, it's just like the success, like you really got one over on the system and it's super fun. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway, Gabby is trying to say this, kids in school should be able to follow their own interests, which now it's become clear that Ben and I actually agree with in real life. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. yes. yeah, you're right. Let them do whatever the fuck they want. But our gut reaction should be, shut the fuck up. You just said yes. the F word, which is shit. Yeah, yep. right. Logan is going to come back with, what are you even talking about? Okay, so Logan says, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's like a kind of blanket. We don't really know yet exactly what Logan is disagreeing <laughs> yeah. with, right? Like, yeah. is it the evidence or is it the mm-hmm. conclusion or is it both? So Logan says, school children should acquire the fundamental knowledge necessary for future success. Again, with the should, they've both dropped the LSAT's F-bomb. Okay. Mm-hmm. School children should acquire the fundamental knowledge necessary for future success, and they learn such fundamentals only through <laughs> disciplined, systematic instruction from accredited teachers. Accredited teachers? Like, yeah, oh my accredited God. These, teachers. These people are both idiots, really. I think Logan <laughs> is like works for the school teachers union. Yeah. yeah. You know, like Logan is just like, no, no, we need more teach. <laughs> Logan doesn't want experienced teachers 
Logan wants accredited teachers. <laughs> like Logan works yeah. for the board of accreditation of teachers. Yeah. And and Logan wants more teachers and more hands-on like nope, we need to accredit these teachers and then we need to give disciplined systematic instruction. <laughs> <laughs> I think And Gabby's Logan, like what sh- Gabby's like uh what's that school that they kind of let the kids do what they want to do? Montessori. Montessori? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. There's so Gabby's many other like, options here. I'm, I mean, really, like, I'm on team Gabby, right? She, mm-hmm. Gabby wants all recess. Don't bother with the teachers bossing around the kids. Like, sure, you've got experienced teachers there. That's great. She doesn't even say why she thinks that enables them to be most successful in their adult lives. It's no. weird. She just, it's just a conclusion, basically, coming from Gabby. Like, all yeah. recess, because that's going to help them to be the most successful. <laughs> Logan says, nope, they have to get this fundamental knowledge for future success. And they're only going to do that with disciplined, systematic instruction from accredited teachers. So they agree. Uh, so they disagree on basically everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to do the question? Yeah. The question continues. Gabby's and Logan's comments provide most support for the claim that they disagree about. Um, <laughs> I, I usually predict an answer here, but I feel like they disagree on everything that they're saying, like you just said. So I'm willing just to go into this and look at each answer and say, hmm, okay, is that something that they talked about? And do they take a differing opinions on it? That's Yeah, we'll do. know that we found the right answer when we get a clear yes from one of the speakers and a clear no from the other speaker. Mm-hmm. We also know going in that if we get a yes from both, that's not the answer. If we get a no from both, that's not the answer. If we get a yes from one of them and then silence from the other, not the I answer. Would say that, I would say that silence is probably the most common yep. feature of a very tempting wrong answer. People imbue you know, something to the speaker that wasn't there. And it's like, well, wait, just focus on that one speaker. Just focus on Gabby. When does she talk about bees in North America? And they're like, well, um, but... Logan like must be alluding to that, right? It, no, just look at Gabby. What did she yeah. talk about it or not? Another common type of wrong answer is one that that mentions something that the second speaker said. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it's really common, mm-hmm. right? Because we're used to this red team versus blue team. Like everything you say has to be countered by every you know. Like the, yeah. we we're trained by the news or by our stupid political system. To, to disagree with everything that the opponent says. And so sometimes when the second speaker says a thing, we naturally go, oh, well, the first speaker, of course, they had to disagree with that. But if they didn't take a position on it, then we don't have evidence on the page to say that they are arguing about that thing. So it has to be something that was explicitly, I guess, or implicitly, but there has to be something on the page to justify, yep, Gabby said yes to this and Logan said no, or Gabby yeah. said no to this and Logan said yes. Anyway, I'll let you do the answer choices. Cool. So, uh, do they disagree about a, the way in which school children best acquire fundamental knowledge? Okay. So Logan straight up talked about acquiring the fundamental knowledge necessary for future success, but Gabby never talked about fundamental knowledge anywhere. So, so that's 
an example of what I was talking about, right? This mm-hmm. is such a learnable test. People just don't even realize, I think, how easy it gets when you do enough of it. Because I knew going in that there was probably going to be an answer that had something to do with shit that Logan said that Gabby just never happened to mention. And that's was right there off the bat. And so it's just a real easy answer to you know get rid of. So yeah, it's out. Yep. In other words, Gabby was silent and Logan yep. took a position on this. Wrong. B, the extent to which teachers should direct school children's education. Yeah, Gabby said teachers should stand back and Logan said they should be in their face, right? So the extent to which they should direct their education, I would keep this one open. Okay, so let's do a little kind of role play. Hmm. You just said stand, Gabby said stand back and Logan said in their face. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if I'm the judge, a counselor, I, I don't see stand back and in their face in either of these statements. Yeah. True. Okay. But so, um, t- so just tell me where you, you know, what's the evidence? What's yeah, exactly. Yes. So the first sentence of Gabby said, children should be allowed to fully follow their own interests, fully follow their own interests. Then Logan says, Uh, They learn such fundamentals only through disciplined, systematic instruction from accredited teachers. So those seem like worlds apart. I think there's a better thing to underline in Gabby's statement. Okay. Oh, you brought up minimal guidance. Yes, sure. Just the words minimal guidance is what I would. Mm -hmm. Teachers who offer minimal guidance. It's explicitly about teachers. Teachers, minimal guidance. Mm-hmm. So sh- that's a lesser extent than mm-hmm. Logan's disciplined, systematic instruction from accredited teachers, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, if the judge wanted to really like press you on it, or mm-hmm. if the other side was saying like, "What? What? You know, the, the first statement's about students or children. Yeah. That's first yeah. statement's not about teachers." Sure. Well, okay, but I can actually underline in each of those. T- not that you would physically underline, but you could point to exactly specifically Gabby telling teachers to offer minimal guidance and Logan looking for discipline, systematic instruction from those same teachers. And that's your evidence for B. Yeah. Good. C, the importance of having qualified teachers involved in school children's education. Uh, Neither of them use the word qualified, but Gabby talks about experienced teachers and Logan talks about accredited teachers whether that means qualified to them, it probably does. So I'd say both agree that that's important. Agree. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. They disagree maybe on exactly what that qualification would sure. mean, but they still want some qualification. For <laughs> they don't want just some random right. parent teaching. Okay. D, the sort of school environment that most fosters children's creativity. Um, they, neither of them talked about creativity. So I'm just going right. to say silence on both. Right. E, the extent to which children are interested, school children are interested in fundamental academic subjects. So Gabby uses the word interests, but she doesn't say what they're interested in. So I'd say she's silent. And Logan never talks about the children's interests. So I'd say silent as well, actually, two silence. Cool. That cool, was man. Fun. That was fun. Sorry for uh, going too much into uh, teacher mode on that with you there, Ben. I can't, like, now that I'm teaching so much on the Demon Live all the time, <laughs> I, like, can't shut it off. I'm, like, permanently in LSAT 
LSAT teacher mode. No, that's good, man. That's what we're here yeah. for. That is what we're here for. All right. Well, we we had that wonderful interview. We're done. That's it. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. You can always join the Thinking LSAT podcast group on Facebook. You can follow us at, at Thinking LSAT on Instagram and Twitter. Nathan and is, is uh, at law, law School Expert on Instagram and Facebook. You can go to LawSchoolExpert.com if you want to learn more about her stuff. Thank you. Yep. Yep. And Nathan is on Twitter. He likes Twitter, uh, he Ish. says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. En- enough to be on there, I guess. And that you can follow him at nfox. And our joint project is LSATDemon.com. Check it out. If you are thinking about going to law school and want to, first of all, figure out whether you want to go, but if you're uh, serious enough that you now need to do your best on the LSAT, I would recommend the LSAT Demon over everything else that's out there. You can study from your home at any time, and if you do the live class, you can see Nathan how many times a week? I taught four days this week. I'm, my normal schedule is three days a week, but we have live events seven days a week with mm-hmm. uh, Jackson and Becca and a growing team of um, tutors and pro- oh Martin um, proctoring oh Annalisa proctoring <laughs> tests on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. I mean we we have we're we're trying to make it like a fancy gym membership where there are more things than you than you could possibly really do right well, there's we don't think everybody's going to do all of our events seven days no, a week it would but they're be there unwise. for you mm-hmm. right they're well the, for example it would be unwise to do the full practice test both early and late <laughs> on saturday <laughs> and, <laughs> the <would> accommodated one. <laughs> and the accommodated one that we do on saturdays yeah we're yeah. just giving you lots of options so that you can build your own schedule but if you do want a live lsat class with an actual lsat teacher i really think you should take the team in live I, we have so much fun and it's it's really going well i'm i'm amazed at how well that's going but there's all sorts of uh, asynchronous stuff that you can do at the other two levels um, of LSAT demon pricing as well. So I'm surprised you yeah. use that word asynchronous. What, Why did that come from? I don't know. Like everybody started using it and I was like, come on, it's like too complicated of a word to say where, you know, you have live stuff and you have like online stuff. I don't know. I, I get it. It's asynchronous. It's not in sync. But <laughs> I yeah, hey, that's fine. Um, you don't like that word? Yeah. I wonder if there's. <clears throat> well, I don't hate I, it as it, much as utilize. I will tell you that. But the problem with utilize is that you another can easily word. just say use. Yeah. So if I had another word for asynchronous that meant asynchronous, mm-hmm. like I you can't. I was I'm tempted to say offline, but that doesn't. That's not accurate yeah. because it's mm-hmm. still online. Not together. So, that's two words. Yeah. I, until we <laughs> it's just find more a like synonym. natural, right? Like asynchronous. I, all my teachers, all my kids' teachers just started using it. Like, we got asynchronous, we got synchronous, and we're doing this, and we're doing that. I was like, all right, oh, well, all I right. would never say Chill synchronous. Out. I, would, I would never say <laughs> synchronous. Like that, I would just say live, <laughs> right? Or in person. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, I mean, you you can't if people don't even have any idea what we're talking about. We have lots of live stuff on Zoom where you can actually just talk to us face to face or via the mm-hmm. internet. Um, mm-hmm. But we have twenty four hours a day. You can still learn from me and from Ben because we have 
thousands of videos and written explanations and uh we're not there you know face to face talking to you but it's it's our face uh in Mm -hmm. the video explanations and it's our writing in the written explanations and um, we also have an ask button so if anything is not 100 percent perfectly clear all you got to do is hit the ask button and uh, we'll get right back to you with a more thorough explanation or even corrected explanation you know we're wrong Mm -hmm. once in a while and if we mm-hmm. are, the users just correct it and we fix it and everybody, you know, moves forward. So yeah. LSATdemon.com, please check it out. Check it out. Uh, free trial, seven days. Anyways, um, the podcast is at thinkinglsat.com. We are selling shirts there, by the way. So you can also check out the podcast index, which is this master index of all topics that have ever been talked about on the show. It was started by Sarah, our producer before, has been continued by Annalisa. And I just, man, if you have a question, just go check out that index and search for your question. I'm sure it's been talked about 12 times. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So anyways, that was episode 252 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. For some reason, I thought we were higher up than that. But uh, thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for lost.